Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. Two author interviews, five book reviews. How are you all doing? Are you okay? Well, I think I'm okay. I don't. It's one of those mornings where I don't really know. There hasn't been any caffeine consumed yet, so I'm hoping everything's okay. But yesterday it did make me laugh. I had a dear friend come to visit, and they were very interested in starting a podcast themselves, which is fabulous. The more the merrier, I say. And um, they asked if they could see that my podcast set up. So I said, "Yeah, absolutely, of course. Come upstairs." And what I hadn't realised is they thought, you know, I would open a special door to like my recording booth, the rec- Philippa's recording room, the studio. And I opened the door to my bedroom and I I pointed to a cardboard box. And I said, that's where I put my computer on. So it's raised up. And then I showed them my little booth thing that is just a box that is filled with well, it's these foam things that I got off the Internet that then you have to soak in the bath and then dry out. Um, I just think they weren't that impressed with the... And they said, that's what you do to get the sound that you get. And I said, well, yeah, it works for me. So, yeah, they were amazed by that. And it just made me realise that it's just it's just you and me sitting here chatting together. And that's what it's all about. But anyway, let's get on because I've got some amazing books to talk to you about. And a giveaway. There's a giveaway coming on later on. So listen out for that. Anyway, without further ado, let me tell you what books we've got today. And there are some crackers. We've got The It Girl by Ruth Ware. First of all, I thought it was The IT Girl. I thought she was very good at computer support. But no, it's The It Girl by Ruth Ware. Then we've got The Elemental Detectives by Patrice Lawrence. Then we've got Her Majesty. Is Royal Coven by Juno Dawson, then a graphic novel, no less, Tetris by Box Brown, and finally, The Enigma of Room 622 by Joel Dicker. So a whole selection for you. Let's get started because Ruth is going to join us for a full interview. Very exciting. Um, so let's do the blurb on The It Girl, and I repeat, not The IT Girl. It was Hannah who found April's body 10 years ago. It was Hannah who didn't question what she saw that day. Did her testimony put an innocent man in prison? She needs to know the truth, even if it means questioning her own friends, even if it means putting her own life at risk. Because if the killer wasn't a stranger, then it is someone she knows. Mm. First sentence, first sentence. Here we go. Before. Afterwards, it was the door she would remember. It was open, she kept saying to the police. I should have known something was wrong. I absolutely loved this book. It had everything that I want a thriller to deliver and it and it really did deliver. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I didn't know who, what, why. Um, I was hoodwinked. And yeah, I just enjoyed the, the journey. I mean, Ruth Ware is such a capable, well-known, popular author. It's just great to be able to talk to her. And talk to her, we will. Let's go and talk to Ruth now. Ruth Ware, whose latest book is The It Girl. Welcome to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so pleased to be here. We are all very excited about this. We we really are. Um, Let's start with the sort of obvious first question and just tell us a little bit about how the idea for this book came about. It's always really hard. Well, I say always, it's usually really hard pinning down where my books came from. Some of them have like a single genesis, like In a Dot Dot Wood, which was my first thriller. 
that I can pin down to a conversation I had with a friend. Um, so some of them do have that kind of it was then moment, but most of them are much more kind of diffuse, really sort of complicated mix of books I've read, <laughs> newspaper articles, people I've run into, people I've known in the past, you know, a, a really sort of cauldron of influences. Um and very often I don't really realise what a book is about until halfway through. And that was definitely the case with The It Girl. I was sort of three quarters of the way through it when I was suddenly like, oh, I wonder if this is partly because I did jury service. Um, and I think that was probably ultimately the kind of the core inspiration for the book. Although at the time I didn't realise it and wasn't thinking about, you know, turning this experience into a novel. Um, but all of my books, I think, are usually about some sort of fear or phobia of mine or something, some experience that I'm working through in fiction. And I think this book, most definitely, um, I did um, jury duty uh, years ago now. It must be like sort of three or four years ago, maybe more. Um, and at the time, I was quite kind of, you know, I felt like it was my civic duty. I was really pleased to be able to kind of do my part for the justice system. Um, but I found it really quite, I don't, I don't want to say traumatic because I think that kind of overstates the, um, the, the degree that it affected me, but definitely like I was losing sleep over it. I was really worried about, you know, doing the wrong thing, interpreting the evidence wrongly. I took it really seriously and I, I don't think I was alone in that. I think most of my fellow jurors were similarly kind of, you know, they took it really, really seriously. And the case I was involved with, um, thankfully wasn't anywhere near as serious as the one um, in the it girl um, it was much less serious charges but I definitely felt this huge weight of responsibility to try to do right by everybody involved and I came out of it feeling really quite quite bruised and quite affected by it but also really conscious of the fact that I'd been involved in this case in a very cushioned privileged way you know I had had contact with it for just a few days I was able to go home put it behind me live my life um, and thinking just how much more difficult and how much more complicated and bruising it would be to be involved in the justice system in um, a much more intimate capacity, you know, as a defendant or as a victim or as someone giving evidence in a case. And then I guess because I'm a writer and we're sort of fundamentally quite horrible people, my natural instinct with those situations is always to think about, well, what would be the worst case scenario? And for, for me personally, I think the worst case scenario would be being involved in a situation where my evidence or my perception resulted in a wrongful conviction like I just wouldn't be able to to deal with that and so that's the situation that I put poor Hannah in in the it girl she has um her roommate is killed at university um Hannah discovers the body and she gives evidence truthful evidence she doesn't make anything up against the college porter who is subsequently convicted for her roommate's murder and it's only 10 years later when the porter did dies in prison having always um, proclaimed his innocence that she is forced to admit that she's actually never been completely happy with the conviction and that there are questions that she's never been able to answer things that she's never been able to figure out and when a podcaster um, comes uh, snooping around asking more questions and giving her some bits of information that she didn't previously have access to she is forced into the realization that she probably did make a mistake and that an innocent man was convicted because of it and also that that means that her friend's killer is probably still at large um so that was the kind of that none of that was in my head while I was you know sitting in court years ago but I think definitely that sort of my unease with the whole situation was was probably the core of that book and you didn't sit there in court with two different notepads one with your jury notes and one you know author author notes and ideas no very much not I'm actually not a note taker 
um, full stop. I did take notes in court because I felt like I, I it would be sort of irresponsible not to. But um, it's one of those pieces of advice that I always see floating around on Twitter that, you know, a real uh, quote marks um, author should have a notebook with them at all times and be constantly taking notes and writing down, you know, plot ideas. And and, and I, I don't. I don't make notes. I don't even make notes really when I'm writing a book apart from very, like for this one... Um, because there are two timelines set 10 years apart and because in the present day timeline Hannah is pregnant um it meant that dates became very important you know there were things that could only happen at certain times in the academic year in the past timeline because it's set at Oxford and then in the present day timeline I had to be really mindful of keeping all of Hannah's kind of pregnancy symptoms and midwife appointments in line with what how much time had actually passed since the last one so I did have I had a kind of little paragraph of sort of dates and and here she would be 26 weeks and here she'd be 27 weeks and so on um but that was really it and I I definitely don't keep notes on um on ideas that crop up I have this sort of faith that if something is a good idea it will stick and if I forget about it it's probably because it wasn't that memorable in the first place oh and it clearly works well for you it's not like you're sitting there something happens with friends and you're like oh hang on a minute and you get out your (laughs) pen and paper you're just sort of soaking it in which is yeah it does work and 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 on the few um on the few times when I have tried to make notes, I think I, I remember waking up in the middle of the night once with this absolutely genius idea for a plot and writing down just a few words because I was like, it's the middle of the night. I will definitely have forgotten the next day. And then waking up and being like, oh, thank goodness I wrote that down because I've completely forgotten what that amazing idea was about. And then when I looked at it, I think it was like, you know, dog biscuit conspiracy or so like it was just it wasn't even an idea it was just like three random words and I was like what and obviously if I hadn't written it down I would have been convinced that this was this amazing idea that had got away and would have been my you know my Booker Prize winning novel or something but as it was I was able to stare at this sheet in front of me and realize that not all 3am ideas that you think at the time are amazing actually are it's lucky you hadn't gone on to right move before you looked at your notes and you know, bought some ten bedroomed palace, thinking this exactly. idea is going to work. Yeah, like this is going to be my lottery winning <laughs> yes. novel. Yeah. No, no. Oh dear. Um, and I love the use of the two timelines, the before and after. It made it very clear as a reader what was happening. And is that important to you as an author that we're very sort of clear about what's going on and when? Um, I think it depends. I mean, uh, sometimes you want the reader to share the confusion of your characters Mm. you know definitely um my second book the woman in cabin 10 is is also something that's all about perception and memory and someone trying to figure out what really happened um but in that case um it's single timeline and you very much don't know what was going on in the other half of the narrative the half that the reader doesn't see um whereas this book has the same themes but I I wanted the reader to experience what actually happened along with Hannah as she sort of tries to figure out what the deal was and what she remembers and um so I think yeah it just it just completely depends you can have fun both ways you can have fun leading the reader up the garden path because they're not quite sure if what they're being shown and told and alluded to is correct um or you can do it very differently and and this book was definitely um yeah I wanted the reader to feel like they had been there at the beginning and experienced what Hannah did so it was it was I I don't I mean maybe you could read this book with Hannah as the ultimate unreliable narrator but I don't think many people have I haven't had many messages to that effect (laughs) and as well as Hannah did the characters all come to you at once or did they sort of slowly emerge from the clouds of writing to crystallize in front of you well, this was a book that came out of lockdown. Um, so I had been thinking about it for probably the best part of a year before I started writing it because I have um, school age kids. And so I spent pretty much all of 2020 sobbing over my kitchen table as they tried to do, you know, fronted adverbials or whatever it is kids do these days. Um, you know, wrestling with teams, trying to make pretty dry learning materials in some way interesting to them uh it made me realize that I am 
absolutely not cut out to be a teacher. It also meant that I didn't get any writing done for basically a year. Um, so I had um, I had these characters kind of, you know, floating around in the back of my head for quite a long time. So I think by the time I set pen to paper, I had a pretty good idea of who they were. Um, but I think um, often my experience with books is that the main characters are the ones that you have to work hardest to pin down, particularly the point of view character who in this book is Hannah, um, because you're seeing the world through their eyes. So we see other people much more clearly often than we see ourselves, you know, to ourselves, we are everything. We are, we are all possibilities. We could do or say or think or become anything. Um, Whereas it's much easier, I think, when you're viewing someone from the outside to be, you know, that's what kind of person they are. That's the pigeonhole that they fit into. Um, and so for that reason, the main character in my books is always the one that I have to, just because it's much more difficult to show someone's character viewed through their own eyes than it, it, than it is to, to, to have them sort of tell you about their character from the outside. Um, so yeah so Hannah was definitely the person that I had to work hardest on but the others I think the fun thing with a group dynamic is that you can really um, you can really show people in contrast to each other you can show that this person is more this and and so it becomes much easier to to display their characteristics um, I had a fun um, chat with a, uh, another interviewer who was saying you know that kind of reminded them because it's six friends um, they were sort of trying to figure out you know did they fit the cast of friends kind of archetype like who would play who <laughs> <laughs> ah yes that's an interesting one that's something it doesn't really, quite yeah. work some of them do map quite well but yeah I'm not sure like Phoebe doesn't really fit with yes. anybody so <laughs> Yeah, there's no guitar playing and smelly cat or anything. I mean, I love the twists and turns of the book. And I almost imagined you sort of sniggering to yourself as you're writing them because they're so exquisite in how they're plotted and planned. Was that an enjoyable part of the process? Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's something that I've had to work quite hard as a writer to, to, to learn and to keep reminding myself is that what feels intensely pleasurable to you as a writer is not always the same experience for the reader because as a writer if you know that an amazing twist or reveal is coming up that is just the best feeling in the world like to have something up your sleeve and to be about to spring it on someone it's sort of like having this really cool Christmas present hidden away and you're like oh I can't wait for so and so to open it but of course for them it's just a cardboard box you know they don't know what it is they're not as excited as you um so it is it's hugely fun um to write those kinds of twists but I'm I try try to be really aware that for the reader the, the bang only comes at the moment when they get to the twist um mm. and, and that's a very different sort of sequence and then of course you know you hope they spend a few pages being like oh my gosh you know everything's upended and trying to figure out how they missed um various bits um but yeah i i do i enjoy writing twisty novels i love as a reader i love that back and forth with the writer where you're being fed clues you're trying to work things out sometimes you're ahead of the writer sometimes you're ahead of the characters but not the writer um and I yeah it, I, I really enjoy writing those kinds of plots it would be wonderful as an author if you could say to everyone when you get to page whatever can we just can I just FaceTime you so I can just see you read those pages and react to them that would be great I do remember I think it was um I can't remember if it was a Claire McIntosh or a Sarah Pinborough novel but there was like a social media campaign of people like tweeting pictures of their faces oh. when they got to a particular page <laughs> and I thought that was really fun but then of course the problem is as a reader you know that that page is coming and you can see it's get, and you're like well there's going to be a huge twist yeah, so I true. almost you know as a reader I, I quite like not knowing if a book is you know if a book is sold on on its huge twist then I think you read it in a very different way mm. whereas if you just pick a book up huge twist kind of smacks you in the face it's much more fun yes that's true because even as a reviewer of books you want to say if there's a twist but then you don't want to again you don't want to say there's a twist because that removes that surprise from the reader so it's a really sort of thin line to tread in getting getting that right and I don't say I get it right but I I try to did you always know as you were writing how the story would resolve itself um I always knew who did it and why um yeah that was and how um which in yeah 
uh, is not important in all books, but in this book, I had it figured out. Um, and that's generally something I know right from the beginning with all my books, um, partly because I think it's much easier to write to an ending. Um, if you've got an ending in mind, one that you're excited to write, it helps keep you focused and on track. Um, but partly because the kind of books that I write, I really I want the reader's reaction when the reveal comes out. I hope that they'll be surprised. Um, but I would prefer them to feel like it was the inevitable outcome that they were given a fair chance to guess. And I would yes. rather err on the side of maybe a few more people guessing that than people feeling in any way cheated or like they hadn't been given a, a fair chance to guess the reveal. Um, and to do that, that means I have to play fair. I have to put the clues in there. I have to give them all the information that they need to solve the mystery. Of course, that means some people will solve it before I get there. Um, but I can only do that if I if I know all of those clues, if I have those breadcrumbs in my pocket in order to scatter them. Um, so, yeah, for me, knowing the outcome, knowing what information I'm going to give to the reader in order to lead them along that path um that's really important to me so yeah I don't I, I do know writers who don't who write without knowing the outcome but I'm I'm not one of them I don't think I could plot like that yeah and you don't want to just pull a character out who's not been mentioned in the book at all and live the it other was the side evil of the twin world. yeah from Australia yeah, yeah. exactly sorry we didn't mention yeah. him until page 448 yes you get cross cross readers then okay here yeah. are some quick fire questions for for you generally as an author so let's see what you think crime or thriller Oh, how could I possibly choose? Um, on my website where I get to categorise myself, I say I write psychological th crime thrillers, which is having my cake and eating it on all fronts. Um, I think I would have to say crime, but it's very hard. But mainly just because I think almost all thrillers have a crime, um, but not all crimes are thrilling, so... I feel like I'm having a bit of the thriller genre by saying crime. <laughs> no, I'll I'll allow that one. Next one, lots of edits or no edits? Um I like I don't typically edit myself that much. I kind of edit as I go along. So my manuscripts are pretty clean when I get to the end, but I like a good stiff edit letter from my editor. I feel it's a huge compliment to the book. And I would be more worried if I had a kind of thumbs up ready to go to print because I, I just wouldn't feel that everybody had done their due diligence in making the book as good as it could be. So, yeah, I obviously, like everyone else, I cry when I get my edit letter. Actually, yes. I don't, I'm not a crier, but I, I feel like I would like to cry. Um, but a good, you know, a nine page edit letter is a is a good edit letter in my book. Being told I read it in a day. Or I read it in a month. I don't care as long as they read it. I, <laughs> I genuinely don't oh, that's mind. That's very good. No, I like that one. Book cover or book title? Ooh, mm, that's a tough one. Um, I guess I would have to say book title just because the titles are usually mine. So I feel I have more investment oh. in them. Yeah. Um, but that said, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not precious about having my titles changed. A few of my titles have changed and very often in my translations, they're completely different because my title doesn't work for whatever reason. Uh, so book title, but only by a whisker. And your last quickfire one. At the end, do you just put the final full stop or do you actually type the end? I do not type the end. Have you always done that? Or with your first book, did you type the end? I, I'm just interested in who does and who doesn't. Um, I don't remember ever typing it, to be honest. I, I think I might have done, you know, once or twice just as a kind of performative like thing for social media. So I can be like, look, I've just typed the end. I don't feel any compulsion to type the end. And I think that's because actually partly because my books are standalones. I very much don't feel it's the end for the characters. And my endings are often deliberately I don't want to say open-ended because you always know the solution to the mystery you always know how you always know why there's always been some sort of justice I hope um meted out but my books often end with the characters kind of mid-step like moving on towards something else or about to make a decision that's going to change their future um and 
as a reader, I really like that. I like it when I feel like a book is part of a bigger universe that's going to carry on running long after I've closed the page, rather than it being this sort of slightly artificial, tidy construct where everything is tied up, you know, with a bow and, and all the loose ends are filed. Um, so I think I don't see it as the end. So that's probably why I don't type it. It's just the point at which I have chosen to stop writing. No, I like that. That's a, a great answer. I mean, you're such a well-known author. Is there a pressure that comes with that in continuing to deliver these amazing books? Um, definitely when I was starting out, um, The Woman in Cabin 10, which was my second book, was by far the hardest book I had to write. So far, there might be a, a worse one coming up. Um, but I think that was because I did feel a huge pre like in a dark dot wood was doing far better than certainly I ever expected it to. Um, and I kept getting these amazing calls, you know, from my agent about, you know, Reese Witherspoon loved the book or it had made the New York Times bestseller list or it was being optioned, blah, you know. And weirdly, the better In A Dark Dark Wood did, the worse I felt about this kind of really ugly duckling novel on my computer. Because, you know, all books go through a stage where they are not the book that you wanted to write because you haven't got there, you know, the polished version. And so you're comparing the edited, primped, polished version of your previous book with the kind of very rough cut that's that's currently on your computer of the book that you're trying to write and so in comparison I felt absolutely appalling about this book on my computer um since then I think I've learned to have a bit more faith in myself and none of them have been as hard to write as that one um I've learned to trust myself a bit more I've learned to trust my readers a bit more um I think my readers trust me um a bit now as well in that if I they know what kind of books I write they know there's a crime coming they know I'll get to the point and that hopefully the end will be you know a ramping up of tension so I sort of give myself permission to spend a little bit longer getting to know the characters um so yeah I I mean but still definitely like there's a moment of existential horror every time I open the blank page and I think how am I going to write another book I can't remember how to do this it's definitely not going to be as good as the last book um I just have I yeah you just I just have to make my peace with the fact that that's just a normal part of the process for me and that hopefully it will pass well it does pass because your books are just wonderful we look forward to each one being published and we can't wait for the next one so Ruth Ware whose latest book is The It Girl thank you so much for joining me today oh thank you for having me on it was such a pleasure and coming up we have an interview with Patrice Lawrence and three other book reviews how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So now we go to The Elemental Detectors by Patrice Lawrence. Patrice has written other books, YA books, that you will have heard of. The award-winning, uh, we've got Orange Boy, Eight Pieces of Silver, wonderful writing. But this is her mid-grade book. And wow, listen to this. Um, what I love on the, my cover, it says, it's time to solve the mystery of the millennium. Step into an unforgettable world where magic sparks just beneath the surface. So here we go. Listen to that. This is the full blurb instead of me just reading these things. Oh, dear Philippa. Here we go. Step into a London lit up by elemental spirits. The fiery dragons, the airy fumis, the watery chads and the earthbound magogs. But humans have been causing chaos, mess, noise and pollution for centuries. What if the elementals could slow down this new world or stop it altogether? The revenge-fueled shepherdess brings a sleeping sickness down on the city with the destruction of society in her sights. Maurice and Robert are the elemental detectives chasing clues to avoid catastrophe. They must face a dangerous riddling dragon, the ghost of Hyde Park, the plague monster that rises from the serpentine and a whole host of other fantastical creatures in their mission to stop the shepherdess and prevent London slumbering for all eternity. And it's the first new series as well. So as I say, this is a mid-grade book and let's do the, the first sentence. And the chapter's called A Rock Dove Falls. The rock dove fell from the sky on Sunday. Its slumbering body lay beneath a hedge, hidden from the carriages clattering by on their way to church. As the sun rose towards midday, a cat slunk past. She had failed to catch a single mouse in Mr Bowbridge's grain store. She was too weak and clumsy. But here was food served up and waiting for her. What a book. I mean, this is a much needed story in this area of writing. I thought it was I was, I was going to say it's spellbinding. And but you know what I mean? It's just one of those books that sort of consumes you. And really, we need to go to Patrice and talk to her all about this wonderful book. So Patrice Lawrence, author of The Wonderful Elemental Detectives. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Well, it's good to have you on. It really is. And your first question is, can it's a simple one to start with. Can you describe your book in about a minute? <laughs> simple. <Yeah. laughs> so it's set in 1764. Two main characters, Marisy Blackwell, whose uh, grandma is a keeper of London's wells. So she has to make sure that um, the water spirits in London, the chads, keep the rivers and wells all sweet and, and working. Um, and Robert uh, Strong, who is uh, was an estranged young man who's living in a uh, with the awful, awful Hibberts in um, a mansion in Bloomsbury. And an enchanted sleep comes over London and the poor are having lovely dreams. So Robert and uh, Marisy live in this elemental London with the watery chads and the earthbound magogs and the fiery dragons and the airbound fumies. And they've got to work through all these fantastic, wonderful elements, including a plague monster in Hyde Park, to solve the mystery of the enchanted sleep. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. I love it when you describe it. Um, your next question. Can you tell me your favourite major and your favourite minor character to write in this book? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I thought my favourite minor character. I really like writing the Tithe Master and he came in quite late. So he lives in a tunnel quite near to the old founding hospital and he takes a tenth of anything that comes through his tunnels and he wears a cloak of live swans that turn around to look at you. And he will take a tenth, whether it's a tenth of your clothes, your hair, or even your memories. Um, my favourite major character, I think, is John is uh, Robert Strong, because he is based on a real-life person called Jonathan Strong, who I'd always wanted to give a voice to. 
But also, um, I had to do quite a lot of research around um, 18th century George and London, and I'm such a geek, so anybody who gives me a chance to <laughs> do loads and loads of research, I love them. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, the next question, what three things do you want us to feel as we're reading this book? I'll go first with what I felt. Cool. Um, first of all, I felt that I, w- I was jumping in because it's such an amazing world. I was really t- jumping in and experiencing it all. Um, then I felt like I was on an adventure. And then I felt rewarded for reading the story and all that the journey entailed. That's great. I think, I suppose I'm thinking about the things that I love in books and I love characters that I really want to follow. So I wanted you to feel, to be really rooting for those, you know, the main characters that they'll survive, like the ghosts of Hyde Park and, you know, the riddling dragon and, and sort of um, solve the mystery. Um, the second thing for me for books is I, I'm really endlessly curious. I'm like that kid at school who always asks why, and I never grew out of that. <laughs> so, you know, if there's bits of it, because it is really entrenched in sort of London law and history and place names, I kind of want people to think, oh, I didn't do know that, and do a bit of Googling, maybe after they've read the book, but, you know, <laughs> quite <laughs> yeah. a bit of Googling. And I suppose the last thing I do, you know, you, as a writer sometimes, you want, do want people to feel a bit awe and just think, oh, man, that's, that's you know, really like that idea or I can really see that and that's why it's like the tithe master it's like oh my days you know didn't think about that but wow yeah I'd love a few wows wows. (laughs) (laughs) yeah a plethora of wows definitely Um, absolutely next question (laughs) (laughs) we'll cope with that um the next question is what food and drink did you consume the most when you were writing this (laughs) particular book what was your sort of go-to thing when you were writing um, it's a toss up between um, orange flavour um, club biscuits because I, I live like so I'm, I'm perfectly triangulated where I live. So like uh, between the um, station, six minutes walk from the station, uh, about 10 minutes walk from the beach and seven minutes walk from Lidl. And like Lidl have like orange club biscuits They've actually gone up now. But, you know, they were like 99p for like, you know, six of them. And if not, it's like uh, ginger nut biscuits as well which the little version is very very cheap as well so those are my go-to and what was your drink what was your go-to drink when you're tapping away at the keyboard I'm not, I'm not I mean I'm not a person who's particularly great at routine but I do sort of have almost have a drink routine so like the first drink in the morning is like an old grey when I'm sort of contemplating a world and then when I get on to do some writing it's sort of like a, a coffee and that's the coffee with like the milk is actually really good for dunking like the the sort of um ginger nuts it's like the perfect yeah. combination and then throughout the day, it's usually um, during the lockdown, the first lockdown, when everybody thought they were going to change their lives. And so I got a pair of trainers and a, a sort of like yoga mat from Sports Direct. And they kind of sent those, you know, those bucket size Sports Direct mugs that they sell. They sent them for free. I wouldn't buy one, but but they are perfect for like herb tea, especially like pucker tea, the expensive ones. And you want to get your money's worth from the tea yeah. bag. <laughs> so I sort of work my way through those, you know, sometimes like the lemon and ginger, uh, lemongrass and ginger, the love one, you know, all of those. It's usually like a few vats of herb tea that will take me through to the, to the evening. But you can't dunk your ginger nuts in them. It's not the same. <laughs> I have discovered. <laughs> yes, you don't want to do that. Um, your last question, what's been the most memorable moment so far for you in your writing career? Oh, I think the, the, it, over all of them was um, when I won the Waterstones Prize for Older Fiction, but not necessarily for the good, for all the good reasons, because I was working full-time for the first three books, and I took a half day off to go to the um, Waterstones sort of prize. I got my eyebrows done just in case, you know. <laughs> got home, and because I was so glamorous, because I lived in London then, I thought, oh, I'll get the 38 bus from the top of my street up to Waterstones. But I did it in rush hour, and you're supposed to be there at 6 pm to have your photo taken by Chris Riddell just in case, you know. And by like half five, I was nowhere near. I was gridlocked, and I had to like get out the bus and I tried to sprint to a tube station but that was closed because it's overcrowded so I was wearing kind of a long skirt and I hoiked it up and sprinted long Shaftesbury Avenue got another bus then got there too late to have my photo taken really hot and sweaty because it's one of those hot humid days I was meeting my daughter there and she was already there but then once in it and um, I had no expectations of winning not for modesty I just didn't it just you know it's not really part of my life um but when um 
James Daunt came on to like announce who won it. My daughter really trusted the fact that I might have won because you don't know in advance. So she actually started recording when he came on. So she recorded the moment that he said my name and my speech and just being there with my daughter who's been part of this whole writing journey with me and winning that prize is just think one of my best moments ever. Even if I was hot, sweaty and full of Prosecco from one. <laughs> Well, it's definitely memorable, as you say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but my eyebrows oh. look great, though. So it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The eyebrows are winning. Just have that hold the book up. So it's the book and your eyebrows. That would be the thing to do. Oh, no, that, that's wonderful. I just can't wait seeing people read your book and hearing all the feedback. Uh, oh, me too. It's really exciting it's, for me. I'm sure. Well, yeah. Patrice Lawrence, author of The Elemental Detectives, thank you so very much. And thank you for inviting me. Right, the next book I need to tell you about. Oh, my goodness, I love this book. Her Majesty's Royal Coven by Juno Dawson. This is one of my favourites of the year. Let me tell you all the blurb and then I have a story to tell about this book. Um, Hidden Among Us is a secret coven of witches. Known as Her Majesty's Royal Coven, they protect crown and country from magical forces and otherworldly evil. But their greatest enemy will come from within. There are whisperings of a prophecy that will bring the coven to its knees and four best friends are about to be caught at the centre. Will Helena, Neve, Leonie and Elle be able to stop the prophecy before it's too late? Or will the differences that have seen them grow apart since childhood be too great to overcome? Life as a modern witch was never simple, but now it's about to get apocalyptic. Right, let's do the first sentence. Uh, 25 years earlier. The night before the summer solstice, five girls hid in a treehouse. The shack, much too nice to call a shack, was sturdy enough, cradled in the arthritic branches of a 300-year-old oak. Below, in Vance Hall, preparations for tomorrow's festivities were finalised. It was more an excuse for the grown-ups to fetch up the dustier wines from the cellar two days in a row than it was a planning meeting. Their elders, quite some way past tipsy, truthfully hadn't noticed the girls were absent. Okay, so this book was all over social media. And I don't do witch books. I'm not into them at all. But I admit I gave into social media and I read it and I absolutely, I absolutely loved it. I inhaled it. I can't wait for book two. It's 450 pages. It's part of a series. It's about witches. I shouldn't be liking it, but I absolutely did. I was consumed by it. It covered all sorts of areas of this world um, that are important to me, that it, that I just loved. And the central premise, the reason why there was the dispute between people, I just loved how it was covered. For me, this is just like, wow, amazing book. And so amazing that for book club, I suggested it. It was one of two books I suggested. It's like, right, yes, we're going to read it. And I went to the book club meeting. I was thinking, oh, skipping in. Oh, it's going to be great. Everyone's going to say how wonderful we can share the love and joy of this book. And my shoulders just fell further and further. They didn't like it. They didn't like this book. And that upset me a lot because I loved it. Some said they felt it was too YA and not adult. Where I, I, I understand there was a bit of that, but it wasn't for me. Just shows how we're all different, doesn't it? Some said they wanted, they liked real witch books and it wasn't that so they were disappointed and maybe that's why I really did like it because it wasn't a typical witch book and others said they thought it was trying to tick every box and I loved it for that reason so yeah and I guess I just looked around and thought well we all like different drinks we all like different food we wear different clothes so of course we're going to like different books but I was sad I was sad that they didn't love this one as much as I did because I just thought it was this is a book I want to read. It's a book of our time. Just read it, read it, read it. Wonderful. I, I think I've told you what I think about this book. Um, and the next one. Oh, my goodness. This was such a surprise for me. So I get this graphic novel. Sorry, that's my stomach rumbling. I'm so hungry. I really need to eat something. Been up since five. School day. School day. Back at school way. Anyway. So I get my graphic novel subscription box. And in this, it was called just... Tetris by Box Brown and I thought well I'm not I'm not sure about this but let's read it 
And I love this one as well. If if you or you know someone who likes computer games and particularly the they're the OG, you know, Tetris players. I thought this was great because it's basically the history of Tetris. I had no idea. I had no idea how Tetris emerged whatsoever. And it's fascinating. And it's just done in a in a lovely way. It, the highs and lows of it. Amazing look at our culture and the role of games over thousands of years as well. Just wow. Anyway, here's here's the blurb. It is perhaps the perfect video game. Simple yet addictive. Tetris delivers an irresistible, unending puzzle that has players hooked. Play it long enough and you'll see those brightly coloured geometric shapes everywhere. You'll see them in your dreams. Alexei Pajitnov had big ideas about games. In 1984, he created Tetris in his spare time while developing software for the Soviet government. Once Tetris emerged from behind the Iron Curtain, it was an instant hit. Nintendo, Atari, Sega, game developers, big and small, all wanted Tetris. A bidding war was sparked, followed by clandestine trips to Moscow, backroom deals, innumerable miscommunications and outright theft. Um, and, well, I can't really read you the first sentence because it's all a graphic novel, but I loved it. And I think if you've got someone who you think that might might be intrigued by it, it'd be a great Christmas present. Yes, you can read it quickly, but it's one I still remember, even though I read it a while ago. And, yeah, it's loved it. Again, great book. And the final one is The Enigma of Room 622 by Joel Dicker. Now, you'll remember, Joel, he wrote The Truth About the Harry Kubert Affair. Marvellous book, sensational book. I mean, crikey. And this is translated as well. This is a big book. How big was this? 500 and something pages? 560 something pages? OK, let me read you the blurb. It all starts with an innocuous curiosity. At the Hotel de Verbier, a luxury hotel in the Swiss Alps, there is no room 622. This anomaly piques the interest of the writer Joel Dicker, Switzerland's most famous literary star who is staying at the hotel to recover from a breakup, mourn the death of his publisher and begin his next novel. Before he knows it, Joel is coaxed out of his slump by a fellow guest, Scarlet, an aspiring novelist with a nose for intrigue, who swiftly uncovers the reason behind room 622's deliberate erasure, an unsolved murder. Meanwhile, in the wake of his father's death, Macaire Abesna is set to take over as president of the largest private bank in Switzerland. The succession captivates the media and the future looks bright until Macaire learns that the board planned to appoint one Lev Levovich, Geneva's very own Jay Gatsby, in his place. What seemed a race to the top has just become a race against time. Uh, let's do first sentence. Part one before the murder. Love at first sight. At the start of summer 2018, when I travelled to the Hotel de Verbier, a well-known luxury hotel in the Swiss Alps, I was far from imagining that I would spend my holiday unravelling a crime that had been committed there many years earlier. This is a meaty book. It is very different to the Harry Kubert affair. Um, but if you are, if you've been reading crime thriller books and you're left wanting that you feel that they're too quick, that they're too... It's like fast food, some of the books. And you want a 10-course taster menu that's going to take you through different senses and some rich meats that... Or some rich tofu, if that's your thing, that take a lot of chewing. Then I think that you would really enjoy this book. I enjoyed the book. It just took a long time to read. Not just because of the number of pages, but because... It takes you on quite a journey, so that there, there it is quite a long journey, but it was a good journey. So I'm not saying I didn't like this book. I did. It just took some time to go through, and that sometimes that's what you want. You don't want a book that you just whiz through and you're done, and and is almost forgettable. You want a book that stays with you, and uh, I think this this would do it. And this is the book I've got a giveaway. So if you would like to be in for a, for claiming this book, there will be a giveaway. You can really tell I haven't had anything to eat, can't you? This is this is very poor today. This is going to go down in the history books of one of those episodes when Philippa really needed to eat. 
and drink coffee before she started talking. But there we go. We don't have the time and it's just got to happen. So there we are. This giveaway, go to Facebook, look up the QuickBook Reviews Facebook group, join us there and there will be a giveaway of a copy of this book, a hardback copy of this book. What should I say about the giveaway? It will just be open for a period of time. If it's not on there, it's because I've forgotten. So do do remind me. But let's hope I have remembered. So enough. I've waffled, haven't I, dreadfully. And uh, I've let myself down this week. But there you go. You can't have everything. You've had some great books and that's the important bit. So let's just do a quick recap and then I will go and leave you for your day. So we have had The It Girl by Ruth Ware and Ruth very kindly came on and talked to us about her wonderful book. Then we had The Elemental Detectives by Patrice Lawrence and Patrice very kindly came on to answer five questions in five minutes. Then we had Her Majesty's Royal Coven by Juno Dawson. We had Tetris by Box Brown and The Enigma of Room 622 by Joel Dicker. There you go. Five great books. Hopefully at least one of those has rung bells for you and you want to go out and acquire it one way or, or another, but only by legal means, I hasten to add. I'm going to go. I need to eat. Just look after yourselves. I've got some brilliant books to talk to you about next week. Brilliant author interview. Can't wait. So exciting. Just look after yourselves. And I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.